welcome to Bun Bun Storytime, a podcast where I tell stories to listeners. In today's episode, I'll continue on my Greek mythology series where I left off. It's time for home improvement with the hospitable one himself, Hades! So, join me as I hop in. Hades does home improvement. So, here's a god that I really enjoy talking about. But there's no doubt he got the short end of the universe. Despite being Ray's oldest son, he was always counted as the youngest, since the gods went by the order they got barfed up from Cronus's gut. If it wasn't bad enough when the gods rolled the dice to divide up the world, Hades got the least desirable part, the underworld. Of course, Hades was kind of a gloomy dude to begin with, so you could argue that he was destined to hang out underground. He was always brooding and dressed in black, kind of like the original goth, if you will. His dark hair covered his eyes, like one of those emo dudes from Japanese manga. Once he became Lord of the Underworld, all the color drained out of his complexion because he was leaving the mortal world behind. Even if the other gods wanted to keep in touch with him, which they didn't. The Underworld had really bad phone service and zero Wi-Fi. When Hades was down there, he had no idea what was going on in the world above. His only news came from the spirits of the recently dead, who would fill him in on the latest gossip. In fact, in ancient Greek times, whenever you invoked the name of Hades, you had to bang your fist against the ground because that was the only way to get his attention. Kind of like, hey, I'm talking to you. Eventually, the whole entire underworld would be called Hades, after the god Hades, which made things very confusing. But the underworld had actually been around much longer than the god. Its original name was Erebos, and when Hades took over, the place was a real fixer-upper. Let's start with the plumbing. Five different rivers flowed into the underworld, and you wouldn't want to use any of them for taking a bath or brushing your teeth. The least dangerous was the Cockatoos, the River of Wailing, which looked tame enough. Its dark blue waters wound peacefully through the plains of Erebos, with plenty of nice-looking spots on the riverbank for a picnic. But if you got too close, you would hear the cries of tortured souls churning in the current. See, the Cockatoos was fed by the tears of the damned. Just being near it would send you into a state of depression. If you actually touched the water, well, trust me, you did not want to do that. No amount of cute puppy videos on the internet would ever lift your spirits again. The second river was the Phlegathon, the river of fire. It roared through the underworld caverns like a torrent of burning gasoline, cutting channels through the black volcanic rock, lighting everything blood red, filling the air with smoke and fumes until finally the river plummeted as a fiery waterfall into the deeper abyss of Tartarus, which was like the basement of the basement. So yeah, when Hades turned on the hot water in his shower, he got a face full of Phlegathon. No wonder the guy was always in a bad mood. The crazy thing was, Phlegathon water wouldn't kill you, even if you were mortal. Sure, it would burn like radioactive chili peppers and sautéed acid. It would make you wish you were dead. 
But the river was actually designed to keep its victims alive so that they could suffer forever. Hooray! Many damned souls had to swim through it for all eternity, or be stuck in the fiery water up to their necks. According to some legends, the Phlegathon could eventually burn away your sins and let you go free if you were really, really sorry for the things you'd done. Hey, if you want to test that theory, go right ahead and jump in. I think I'll pass. River number three, the Acheron, was the river of pain. If you guessed it was painful, congratulations. The Acheron started in the mortal world near a temple of the dead in Ipirus. Maybe that's why ghosts were drawn to it and filled the river with their own pain and suffering. The Acheron meandered along until it plunged underground and fumbled into Erebos. There it widened into a dark, steamy, swampy expanse that caused pain to anyone unlucky enough to touch its waters or even hear its current. After a while, the Acheron split into two smaller rivers, the Cocytus and the Styx, that flowed in opposite directions until they both spilled into Tartarus. River number four was always my least personal favorite, the Lethe, River of Forgetfulness. I've had some bad experiences with amnesia. It's a long story. Anyway, the Lethe looked harmless. In most places, it was a gentle span of milky white water that rolled over a shallow bed of stones, softly gurgling in a way that made your eyes feel heavy. You would think you could wade across this river no problem. My advice? Don't. A single drop of Lethe water would wipe your short-term memory. You wouldn't remember anything that happened in the last week. Take a full drink or wade into those waters, and your mind would be completely erased. You wouldn't remember your own name or where you came from, your favorite color, nothing. I know, terrifying, right? But for some spirits of the dead, the Lethe was actually a blessing. Crowds of ghosts were always gathered at the banks, drinking from the water so that they could forget their former lives. You can't miss what you don't remember. Occasionally, spirits were often allowed to reincarnate, you know, be reborn into the mortal world for another life. If you took that chance, you had to drink from the Lethe first so that you wouldn't remember your old life. Poppies grew all along the banks of the Lethe, which is why poppy juice has the power to put people to sleep and dull their pain. Another word for that is opium. Don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. Okay, I had to put that in there. At one point, the Lethe curved around the entrance of a dark cave where the god Hypnos lived. The god of sleep. What was it like inside? No one has ever described it. Probably because anyone stupid enough to go in fell asleep and never came out again. The fifth river of the underworld was the Styx, the river of hate. It was definitely the most famous river, but the name alone sort of dampened any chance for tourism. Hey kids, we're going to the river of hate for spring break. Doesn't that sound fun? The Styx flowed through the deepest, darkest parts of the underworld. Some legends claimed that it was created by the water titan Tethys and was fed by salty springs from the bottom of the ocean. The Styx circled Erebos like a moat, so you pretty much had to cross it to get into the underworld. Some stories say the Acheron was a river you had to cross, but since the Styx was a branch of the Acheron, I guess both versions are correct. The current was dark and sluggish. 
always shrouded in a foul-smelling mist, and the water was corrosive to mortal flesh. Mix sulfuric acid with sewage and a splash of liquid hatred, and you got the sticks. So you're wondering, why would anybody want to get into the underworld? I honestly have no idea. But ever since humans were created, whenever they died, their souls just sort of instinctively drifted down to Erebos, like lemmings jumping off a cliff, or tourists flocking to Times Square. You could tell them all you wanted that it was a stupid idea, but they just kept doing it. The problem was, the souls had no reliable way to cross the River Styx. A few managed to swim it, others tried only to dissolve in the river, Many just wandered along the mortal side of the river, wailing and pointing at the other side like, I want to go that way! Finally, one industrious daimon named Karen decided to go into business. What's a daimon? Well, it's not a devil-type demon with a pitchfork and a tail and red skin. Daimons were immortal spirits, kind of like lesser gods. Some looked like monsters or mortals. Some were good, some were bad. Some just kind of hung around. This dude, Karen, was the son of Nyx, the goddess of night. Karen could take different forms, but most of the time he appeared as an ugly old man in tattered robes, a greasy beard, and a comb-shaped hat. If it was me and I could change shape, I would turn into some sort of dragon or something like that. But I guess Karen didn't care about impressing the ghosts. At any rate, one day Karen realized that all these mortal souls were clamoring to get to Erebos. So Karen built himself a boat and started ferrying people across. Not for free, of course. He accepted gold, silver, and most major credit cards. Since the underworld had no regulations, Karen just charged whatever he wanted to. If he liked you, he might let you across for a couple of coins. If he didn't like you, he'd demand a fortune. If you were unlucky enough to be buried without any money, oh well. You'd have to wander around the mortal side of the sticks forever. Some of the dead even drifted back to the mortal world just to haunt the living as ghosts. Even if you got across the sticks, you'd find Erebos in complete chaos. The ghosts were supposed to divide into different groups according to how good they'd been in their lives. If they were real scumbags, they went to the fields of punishment to enjoy special torture for eternity. If they were good, they went to Elysium, which was kind of like paradise. If the spirits hadn't been particularly good or bad in life, but it just sort of existed, which was most people, they were forced to wander forever in the fields of Asphodel, which wasn't a horrible place, just incredibly, mind-numbingly boring. So that's how spirits got sorted. In theory. Unfortunately, before Hades took over, no one was policing the underworld. It was kind of like a school day when all your teachers are sick and you have nothing but subs who don't know the rules, so naturally the kids take total advantage. Doomed souls from punishment would sneak into Asphodel and no one stopped them. The spirits from Asphodel crashed the party in Elysium. Some really dumb but noble spirits bound for Elysium took a wrong turn, ended up in punishment, and either couldn't get out or were just too nice to complain about it. To make matters worse, even when the spirits who went where they were supposed to go didn't always deserve to be there. Because before Hades took over, you were judged for the afterlife while you were still alive. So apparently a panel of three living judges interviewed you right before you died and decided if you deserved 
Fields of Punishment, Elysium, or Asphodel. Don't ask me how the judges knew you were about to die. Maybe they just guessed. Maybe the gods told them. Maybe the judges just yelled at random people. Hey you! Get over here! It's your turn to die. Anyway, the judges listened to your testimony and decided your eternal fate. I'm sure you can guess what happened. People lied. They bribed the judges. They showed up in their best clothes, smiled and flattered, and acted nice so the judges would think that they were nice. They brought in witnesses to say, Oh yeah, this guy lived a really awesome life. He hardly ever tortured anybody. You know, stuff like that. A lot of evil people managed to charm their way into Elysium, and a lot of good people who didn't kiss up to the judges landed in the fields of punishment. You get the idea. The underworld was a mess. When Hades took over, he looked around and said, No, this ain't gonna work. So he went to Olympus and explained the situation to Zeus. Having to get Zeus's approval for what he planned to do kind of rankled Hades. But he knew he'd need to get the big guy's thumbs up for any major changes to the afterlife, especially since humans were involved. The gods considered humans shared property. Zeus listened and frowned thoughtfully. So, what do you propose? Well, Hades said, we could keep the panel of three judges, but... The audience could vote, Zeus guessed. At the end of each season, the winning mortal could be crowned Elysian Idol. Uh, no, Hades said. Actually, I was thinking the judges could be spirits of the dead rather than living people. And each mortal soul could be only judged once it enters the underworld. So, not a competition format. Hmm. Not too bad. Hades tried to keep his cool. See, if the judges are spirits under my control, they'll be impossible to influence. The souls who come before the court will be stripped of everything but their essence. They can't rely on good looks or fancy clothes. They can't bribe the judges or call character witnesses. All their good and bad deeds will be laid bare because the judges can literally see right through them. Lying will be impossible. Hmm, I like it, Zeus said. Who will you pick for judges? Probably three deceased mortals who were kings in the upper world, Hades said. Kings are used to passing judgment. Good, Zeus agreed. As long as the kings are all my sons. Agreed? Hades gritted his teeth. He didn't like his brother getting involved in everything. But since almost every Greek king was a son of Zeus, there would still be plenty of kings to choose from. Agreed. Zeus nodded. So, how will you make sure the judgments are enforced, and the souls go where they're supposed to? Hades smiled coldly. Oh, don't worry about that. I've got that covered. When he got back to Erebos, Hades appointed three former kings, all demigod sons of Zeus, and his dead celebrity judges, Minos, Iacos, and Radamanthus. Bun Bun Storytime is brought to you in part by Radio Public. Radio Public is free, easy to use, and helps listeners like you find and support shows like mine. When you listen to my show on Radio Public, everyone benefits. Hades then rounded up the three Furies, 
Those spirits of vengeance who had been formed from the blood of Oranus ages before. Hades hired them to be his enforcers, which was a good call since nobody wanted to cross a demonic grandmother with bad breath and a whip. Like most diamonds, the Furies could take different shapes, but usually they appeared as ugly old ladies with long stringy hair, black tattered robes, and giant bat wings. Their fiery whips could cause excruciating pain to the living or the dead. They could also fly invisibly, so you never knew when they would swoop down on you. Hades used them to keep the dead in line. Sometimes he let the Furies go nuts and design new tortures for the worst of the doomed souls. He could even send the Furies after living people if they committed a truly horrific crime, like killing a family member, desecrating a temple, or eating pineapple with pizza. Hades' next underworld improvement he made it a lot easier for spirits of the dead to find their way to Erebos. He convinced Hermes, the messenger god, to keep a lookout for lost souls on the mortal side of the sticks. If Hermes saw any ghosts who looked confused, he would steer them in the right direction and provide them with a handy, full-color map, compliments of the underworld chamber of commerce. Once the souls of the dead made it to the river sticks, the diamond Karen would ferry them across for a standard fee of one silver coin. Hades had convinced him, well, threatened him, to charge everyone the same price. Hades also spread the word to the mortals up above that they'd better take their funeral rites seriously, or they wouldn't be allowed into the underworld. When you died, your family was supposed to make offerings to the gods. They had to give you a decent burial and place a coin under your tongue so you could pay Karen. If you didn't have a coin, you'd end up haunting the mortal world as a ghost forever, which was both pointless and boring. So, how did Hades spread the word among the mortals? Well, he had this army of black-winged nasties called Oniri, or Dream Diamonds, who visited mortals while they slept, delivering visions or nightmares. Ever had one of those dreams where you wake up startled because you felt like you were falling? That's the Oniri messing with you. They probably picked you up and dropped you, just to be mean. Next time it happens, smack your fist on the floor and yell, Hades, tell your stupid diamonds to knock it off. Another upgrade Hades made. He tightened security at the gates of Erebos. He went down to the Tartarus Humane Society and adopted the biggest, I think cutest, baddest dog you can imagine, a monster named Cerberus, who was sort of a cross between a pit bull, a Rottweiler, and a rabid woolly mammoth. Cerberus had three heads, so if you were a mortal hero trying to sneak into Hades' realm, or a dead person trying to sneak out, you had three times the chance of getting spotted and devoured. In addition to razor-sharp fangs and claws, Cerberus supposedly had a mane made out of snakes and a serpent for a tail. Anyway, once the departed spirits got inside the gates, they were sorted out by the three dead celebrity judges and ushered into their proper places. Like I said earlier, most people hadn't really done much with their lives, neither good nor bad, so they ended up in the fields of Asphodel. There they existed as wispy shadows that could only chitter like bats and float around aimlessly, trying to remember who they were or what they were doing. Now, if you had led a good life, you went to Elysium, which was about as nice as you could get in the dark underworld. You got a mansion of your own, free food and drinks, and pretty much five-star service for whatever you needed. You could hang out with the other lucky good people and chill for eternity. If Elysium got boring, you could choose to drink from the River Lethe and be reborn into a new mortal life. 
A few souls were so good, they managed to live three virtuous lives in a row. If that was you, you could retire to the Isles of the Blessed, which were Caribbean-type private islands in a lake in the middle of Elysium. Not many people were that lucky or that virtuous. It was sort of like winning the good person Powerball lottery. If you'd lived an evil life, you got the special naughty treatment. Boiling in oil forever, having your skin flayed, getting chased by hungry demons over a field of broken glass, or sliding down a giant razor blade into a pool of lemon juice. You know, the usual. Most of the punishments weren't very creative, but if you managed to really annoy Hades, he could always come up with new and interesting ways to torture your immortal soul. So, that's how Hades got the underworld organized. He built his dark palace on the edge of the fields of Asphodel, and once he married Persephone, he more or less settled down and was about as happy as an underworld god can be. He started raising a herd of black cattle so that he could have fresh steak and milk, and he appointed a diamond named Menides to look after the cows. Hades also planted an orchard of magical pomegranate trees just to honor his wife. The Olympian gods rarely visited, except for Hermes, who had to deliver messages and souls. But if you happen to be in Hades' throne room on any given day, you might find Thanatos hanging out, or the Furies, or the three dead celebrity judges. The best deceased artists and musicians from Elysium were often summoned to the palace to entertain the king. But were Persephone and Hades a truly happy couple? I think so, after a while, of course. The old stories aren't even clear about whether they had any children. Apparently, Persephone had a daughter named Melano, who was the diamond in charge of ghosts and nightmares. But Hades may or may not have been the father. Some stories say the father was actually Zeus disguised as Hades, which gets into a whole new level of just wrong. A few poems mention Macaria, the daughter of Hades and Persephone. She was the goddess of blessed, peaceful deaths, as opposed to painful, terrible, horrifying deaths. But there aren't really any stories about her. At any rate, Hades wasn't always faithful to Persephone. He's a god. What do you expect? One time Hades was visiting the Titan Oceanus at the bottom of the sea. I'm pretty sure he was checking on the salty springs that fed the river Styx. Anyway... While he was roaming around, he happened to meet a beautiful ocean nymph named Luke, one of Oceanus's daughters. She was tall and pale and lovely, and apparently she made a big impression. At the end of the visit, Hades abducted her and took her back to the underworld. It was just a fling, a momentary madness, but you can guess how Persephone reacted when she found out her husband had brought home a souvenir with him. She goes or I go, Persephone snarled. And don't just send her back to the ocean. She stole my husband. She must die. Um, okay, Hades said. I mean, yes, of course. Of course, dear. What was I thinking? Hades ran down to the fields of Asphodel where Luke was waiting for him. Well, Luke demanded, you abducted me and brought me here. What do you plan to do with me? Actually, it's not going to work out, Hades said. My wife doesn't approve. What a shocker, Luke muttered. Fine, take me home. I can't, Hades said. Persephone wants you dead. Luke turned even paler. That 
That isn't right. You were the one that stole me. Shh, shh. It's okay, Hades assured her. I have an idea. Instead of killing you, I'll just change you into something. Like a plant. Then you'll live forever, and I can always remember you. That's a horrible idea. Maybe a tree, Hades mused. No! A tall, pale, white tree, Hades decided. A tree as beautiful as you are. I... Poof. Luke became the first poplar tree, and Hades hugged her trunk. Thanks for understanding. I will always remember you. The poplar quickly multiplied, until the fields of asphodel were dotted with them. A little bit of beauty in the gloomy fields of asphodel. The poplar became one of Hades' sacred trees, and tended to grow especially thick along the banks of the underworld rivers. Maybe because Luke remembered that she had come from the sea, and was trying to grow her way back there. Good luck with that, Luke. After his failed romance with the poplar girl, Hades became depressed. One day he decided to take a long stroll along the river Cocytus. Remember, that's the river of whaling. That's kind of an odd place to walk if you're trying to cheer yourself up. Hades happened to see a lovely young lady in a pale green dress sitting by the water. Her fragrance wafted toward him on the subterranean breeze, a sweet, subtle, pale perfume unlike anything he'd ever smelled. He walked over and stared at her in amazement. Hades tended to surprise people, being so dark and stealthy and all. So when the girl finally noticed him, she flinched in alarm. What do you want? She demanded. Uh, Hades found it hard to think. The woman's eyes were pale green like her dress. I'm Hades. You smell very lovely. Who are you? The girl wrinkled her nose. I'm Mantha, of course. Daughter of the river Cocytus. Hades frowned. The underworld rivers have naiads? I never knew that. Well, maybe we're not too proud of it, Minthy muttered. It's not easy being the nature spirit for a whaling river, you know. I'd much rather be in the upper world, where I could enjoy the sunlight and the fresh breeze. I could take you there, Hades blurted. Just give me a kiss, and I'll take you to the upper world. Minthy knit her eyebrows. Why would you? I love you, Hades said foolishly, but he didn't meet many beautiful women. Also, it was springtime. Persephone had gone to visit her mother in the mortal world, and Hades was very lonely. Minthe stood. She wasn't sure what to think of this dark god, but a trip to the upper world sounded good. She said, All right. She kissed him. Hades put his arms around her, and together they dissolved into the shadows. They appeared on the side of a hill near the Greek town of Pylos. Minthy gasped when she saw the blue sky and the sun, the green hills marching on forever. She smiled and threw her arms around Hades, and for about 20 seconds, they were very much in love. Minthy's fragrance was intoxicating. Then something changed. Hades tensed. Maybe the fresh air cleared his mind. What am I doing? He wailed, pushing Minthy aside. It's springtime! My wife will be around here somewhere, making plants grow and whatnot. She'll find us. Who cares? Minthy asked. You said you loved me. I, 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 Hades gulped. Minthy's green eyes were gorgeous. She was very pretty, and she smelled extremely good. But now Hades realized their love was hopeless. He remembered the murderous look in Persephone's eyes when she'd heard about Luke. 
I've got to get back to Erebos, Hades said. Enjoy the upper world. You're coming back, right? Minthy demanded. Um, Hades chickened out and dissolved into shadows. Minthy should have forgotten him. She'd made it to the mortal world. She could have found a new river to bind her life force to. She could have lived forever in the beautiful forests and hills of Greece. But nope. That would be way too easy. Being dumped on the hillside really made her angry. It dawned on her that she'd wrapped the god Hades around her little finger without even trying. She really must be beautiful. And she did smell great. She deserved to be a queen. Hades loves me, she shouted to the wind. He's gonna come back and get me and make me the queen of the underworld. I'm more beautiful than Persephone. I'm more wonderful. And I smell better. And just then the hillside rumbled. Grass and flowers swirled into a massive funnel cloud of petals. The goddess Persephone appeared as a 50-foot-tall colossus. At that point, Minthy realized she'd made a mistake. You? Prettier than me? Persephone boomed. Yeah, right! You do smell good, though. Perhaps I can find a use for you among the plants. Persephone raised her giant sandaled foot and squashed Minthy flat. When she smeared her foot across the hillside, tiny green plants sprang up. Their leaves smelled wonderful whenever they were crushed. Persephone decided to call them mint plants. And the hill near Pylos, where they first grew, is still called Mount Minthy. So, next time you have mint chocolate chip ice cream, you can thank Persephone. Though it can be a little hard to eat the stuff when you realize it's made from a smashed river nymph. After that, Hades didn't have many affairs. He mostly stayed in his palace and minded his own business. Mortal heroes didn't always leave him alone, though. They kept popping down, demanding things. One hero wanted his dog Cerberus. Another hero wanted Hades to return his dead sweetheart to life. Another hero even tried to abduct Persephone. But that's enough talking about the underworld for now. Let's pop over to the Mediterranean, and I'll introduce you to the one and only Poseidon.